0: Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 5 in our Bibles. If you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 5. Definitely missed you guys the last couple weeks. I like being in person. Um, I like showing up and being able to see faces and being with you guys. Had a cool opportunity uh, last weekend, which actually worked out. Got to speak at Harvest Marriage Conference. And um, it was a real joy, again, just to be back with Harvest. And if you didn't know, that's that was my church home before coming to Legacy. I grew up there at that church. And it just, it's cool to be invited to go back and to minister and uh, to pour into the married couples. And it was a real joy there in Orange County. Um You can check out that sermon online if you didn't. It's an archived one on their website, uh, their YouTube channel, and also we have it up on our website and our YouTube channel as well, okay? Matthew chapter 5 in our Bibles, if you're taking notes, title of the message today is Love Thy Enemy, Love Thy Enemy, yes, Love Thy Enemy. We're working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview, where we actually take the word of God and use them like glasses, use the word of God, use these books of the Bible as a lens to see through. You see, when we look at the world around us, it's very hard to discern what is right and what is wrong. It's very hard to discern what is true, what is false. It's very hard to discern what is up and what is down. And so I use the word of God as a lens in which to see the world. So anytime somebody brings up a topic or somebody brings up an issue, I'm always trying to get back to what God has said first. If I can figure out first what God has said about it in society, in this universe, it's gonna give me a premise to start to work from, and then I get to move forward. People say, you need to do this, you need to do that. What has God said? You should do this, why aren't you doing that? What has God said? Well, you need to believe this way. You need to think that way. How does God think? So I'm always coming back to God's word. And my job as a pastor family is to bring us back to what God has said first. And once you have that premise in your life, what God has said, then we can start to discern how to navigate all of these different positions and opinions here on the planet. Jesus' worldview. One bright beautiful Sunday morning, before service starts at a local church, there are a bunch of people sitting in their pews and talking about their lives and families, and all of a sudden, on the altar, Satan appears, true story, and everyone starts screaming and running for the entrance to get out, trampling each other to get away from evil incarnate. Soon, everyone is evacuated from the church except for one man who sits calmly in his pew there in the front row. This confused Satan a little bit and Satan walks up to the man and says, hey, don't you know who I am? He says, yep, sure do. Satan says, well, aren't you afraid of me? The man says, nope, sure ain't. Satan says, well, why aren't you afraid of me? And The man says, well, I've been married to your sister for 25 years. (laughs) Uh, love thy enemy. <laughs> love thy enemy, the title of the sermon today. Come on, lighten up, people. It's beautiful out. Politics.com Politico wrote an article titled, "Poll: We Have Met the Enemy and It Is Us. This is an article written on the 17th of January this year, 2021. It reads, more than half of all Americans say the greatest danger to Americans' way of life comes from their fellow citizens, according to CBS News poll released Sunday. A total of 54% of those surveyed said that other people in America and domestic enemies pose the biggest threat to American society at this point in time ahead of economic forces at 20%, the natural world 17%, foreign countries at 8%. The category of the natural world was a catch-all that included hazardous weather and other natural disasters. The most pessimistic respondents among the surveyed were those age 65 and older. Interesting, the elderly, those retired. About two thirds, 66%, saw their fellow Americans as the nation's greatest threat. The older generation says this. There was not, however, much difference, regardless of age group, between Democrats, 50%, or I'm sorry, 53%, Republicans, 56% on the subject nor male or female, men, 53%, and women, 55%. So everyone is kind of thinking in the same vein above 65 years of age. The wisdom of this country, looking back on time and saying, what is going on in this nation? So they don't know anything. Uh, Yeah, they do. They have actually experienced the nation a lot longer than we have and have insight. 51% of those surveyed said they expected political violence in the country to increase and 71% said they believe democracy in the United States was threatened now as opposed to 29% who saw that it was secure or very secure. 77% say that our democratic system is being threatened. Very interesting. The reason I point this out, and the reason I brought this article, I thought it was, again, very enlightening. That no longer do we look to the outside of our country to see enemies, but we look to the inside of our country and we say, everyone else is my enemy. It's a sad day in America when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we have sides against each other. Though there were sides before all of this, the side you were on didn't matter and we were still Americans united to a great degree. The sides have been built and we have been divided enough to actually want to fight each other, debate each other in anger, look down on one another, acting as if one is better than the other. How has division rose up so quickly in the United States? In the United States. In the United States. (laughs) Wow if you feel yourself siding sliding against your neighbor, who you once were just fine with, family, we've gotta to start to wake up. Because you are on the path to maybe potentially hating those you don't agree with. And this is the most dangerous thing of all. How has this happened in such a short period of time? Can you see the lines being drawn and all of us being forced to choose a side against each other? Hey, listen. I'm okay with me and you having different opinions on things and we can still be friends, did you know that? I'm okay with you liking the Chiefs and me liking the Bucks and we still watch the game together. I'm okay with us having different opinions on things and still being best friends, did you know that? Family, we gotta lead by example in this. We gotta do this in our marriages, right? I fully disagree with you as my spouse, and I still love you madly. I'm still a head over heels for you. And it's so odd that within a one, year, in, in a one year span of time, we literally are enemies with people that used to be our friends, our family members. How have we let this happen to us? We have to lead in the midst of all of this We have to figure out how to disagree with people and say, I still love you. Get over here, give me a hug. Okay, air hug. Okay, air hug. We have to figure out who our real enemy is. It's not each other. Christians lead in loving and serving one another. Who are enemies as Christians? Is it the KKK? Is it ISIS? Is it our government? Is it Republican? Is it Democrat? Is it different color of skin or facial structure? Is it another race or ethnicity of people or cultures? So it's funny is even if we all looked exactly the same, you know what happened? We would divide into cultural battles. Well, you like to tie your shoes this way and we, we use Velcro. We, we would find a way to divide and this is sad doesn't matter what the world's doing, we are Christians, we do things different. This happens in all kinds of different communities, doesn't matter what our skin color is. Is it a community of people against the Bible who are enemies, like atheists? Is it other religions? Is it communism, the idea? Is it the person leading the movement? Is it another person in America? Who is our enemy? Jesus goes after this question today, and praise God, he does, because we need clarity. We need unity in Christ. We gotta figure out how to love and serve each other in the midst of all this chaos, amen? Let's take a look at the text together. We're in Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 43, if you wanna turn there. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter five, verse 43. Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor, and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father, we worship you today. Lord, we call upon you now to minister to our hearts. We open our hearts to you, our minds to you. We ask that you would please change us, Lord. Help us to see like you see. Help us to hear and listen like you hear. Help us to... See where a person is hurting and why they're acting that way and to love and serve them regardless of where they stand. Give us vision. Give us clarity when the whole world is fighting and hurting each other. Help us to love and serve and lead by example. We pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You can be seated. Today we look at the final statement in Jesus' Part of this Sermon on the Mount, it's his sixth statement where Jesus says, You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you different. Hey, I know that you're listening and hearing a bunch of different things over here, a lot of people saying this, but Jesus says, I say to you this. Hmm. If you've been with us throughout this study, you know that the Pharisees would take the law of Moses. And they would twist it to mean what they wanted it to, to benefit themselves. Many times they would keep the letter of the law missing the spirit of the law. It's true. Remember, they'd say things like, well, I didn't kill anybody. I've never murdered anybody. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. You haven't killed anybody, but you hate everyone around you. Your hatred is so loud in your heart. You're a murderer in your heart. Jesus went after their hearts. And that's what he's doing. Again, he's clarifying this misunderstanding, The Pharisees thought they were holy because they never, again, murdered or committed adultery. But they were sinning in their hearts. And they were declaring that they were holy. Their clothes looked holy on the outside, but they had heart of stones on the inside. Jesus goes after the heart of the matter. It is the matter of the heart. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Did you get that? Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Now, that sounds like the world, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds like the ways of the world. Yeah. You, you love the people closest to you, and you hate those who are against you. Where did the Pharisees get this statement? Point number one, if you're taking notes, what did the law of Moses say about loving your neighbor and hating your enemy? What did the law of Moses say? Scholars think it was devised through a couple of ideas from the Old Testament, but this verse is not actually in the law of Moses. Nowhere does it say in the Bible, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Did you get that? Nowhere in the Bible does it say, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. doesn't exist. So the Pharisees, they made this up. These holy guys made this up as they did with many other laws. And again, who doesn't want to love their neighbor and hate their enemy? It sounds great and easy, but that's not the point of the law of Moses. The Pharisees did not just make this up out of thin air. They took a couple of texts and they fused them together. They took texts in the Old Testament which spoke of the people of Israel destroying the enemies of God, completely wiping them out, and came to the conclusion that God must want them to hate people. That's crazy, actually. You read through the Old Testament, the fact that they were able to come to that conclusion, they're like, well, we must hate someone. God wants us to wipe people out. But this is not true. It is the justice of God versus the love of God. Again, it's the justice of God versus the love of God. How can God remain just and holy, yet also be completely loving? Notice Jesus tells us to love our enemies, but then here in this passage in Matthew, he's calling out the Pharisees. God hates the wicked, yet somehow loves his enemies. Did you get that? God somehow hates the wicked, the Bible tells us, but loves his enemies. Mind blown. It's kind of what's happening in our culture. People can't figure this out. Listen to Psalm 11 verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Did you hear that? God says, he tests the righteous, his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Psalm 5.4, for you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. Psalm 5.5, 5, the arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all wrongdoing. Yes, so we are to hate the wicked and the evil of the world generally. We desire justice and righteousness just as our God does. This is important. I'm building the first category. We are to hate what is wicked. We are to hate what is evil. We hate to see children hurt. We'd hate to see someone raped. We hate to see injustice. We hate to see... Things not being done right in our society. We hate to see a nation rise up and destroy another nation. We do hate these things. This is just. But now how do we love the person individually? Our neighbor. It sounds like that's two contradicting thoughts. Jesus says, Matthew 5, 44, I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12 real quick. Romans chapter 12. This will be our final passage that we'll look at in turning in your Bibles. But if you want to keep a thumb, or a thumb in uh, Matthew 5 or your bookmark in Matthew 5, you can do so. Turn to Romans 12. Just start turning in the right to the right and you'll find it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 12. Verse 14, so with this idea first, we are called to hate what is wicked. We are called to hate what is evil. And then try to couple it with this, Romans twelve fourteen. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Did you hear that? Overcome evil with good. When Stephen in the New Testament was being stoned and killed for his faith, do you remember? All he did was stand up and preach the gospel and they picked up stones and they started throwing stones at him. And it says there in Acts 7:60, then he fell on his knees and cried out wow, they're throwing rocks at him. He says, "This Lord, do not hold this sin against them." When he said this, he fell asleep. He died. Again, he was just preaching the gospel in his city, and people got offended by what he was saying. They wanted to kill him, they pick up rocks, they start throwing them at the guy. And as he is being stoned to death, he falls down on his knees and begs God not to hold the sin of this stoning on him against them. He cries out to God for them. So it is clear that God hates the wicked, but somehow loves the individual. Did you get that? God somehow hates the wicked generally, but loves the individual. The way it is to be seen is we hate judicially We love individually. We hate judicially but we love individually. The best illustration I could come up with is this, I hope this helps. It would be like this, if someone you loved lost control and in anger killed someone and you were the judge, what would you do? You love them But you have to do what is right. You hate murder, for sure. You hate the fact that your loved one did that to someone else. You're appalled by it, yet you care for the person. And as a good judge, you would have to sentence them. But you still love them and care for them and treat them well. You don't be mean to them. This is where the Pharisees got it all wrong. This is where we get it wrong many times as well. If somebody does something wrong or somebody does something wicked, you need to know how to process. They deserve justice, but they also need a relationship with the Lord. They deserve justice, but they they are enemies of God just like we once were. They need justice, but they are broken and hurting and messed up just like everybody else in the world, and they need a merciful, gracious God to reach down and save them. Jesus, remember when he looked on the crowds in Jerusalem, do you remember what he said? He fell down weeping and he prayed over them. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, those who kill the prophets, and don't listen to God how I wish I could gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. I want to bring you in close. I want to keep you warm. I want to take care of you. I hate what you're doing. You're killing the prophets. You're destroying people, but I love you. I've come to die for your sins. I've come to lay down my life for you so that you can have a relationship with the God who made you. And that is the balance. This is where we get it wrong. We have, me too, we have a hard time dividing the line and saying I think that was wrong but I'm still going to choose to love and serve that person. It is very difficult to do but we got to find the balance. Point number two, if you're taking notes, what did the Pharisees say and do? about this, instead of hating the wicked generally, the evil on the earth, they literally just hated people in town who were their enemies. Like, yeah, I hate that dude. He bugs, he gets on my nerves. By hurting people in whatever way they could. Jesus is a good picture of that. The Pharisees literally hated the God-man before us. The Lord Jesus, they gossiped, they lied, they created rumors about him. And they eventually did everything they could to have him killed. And they were doing the same for others in town. These guys were wicked. And it's a good litmus test for our own hearts, family. We need to look at the way that we love and serve one another. We need to look at the way that we handle one another. I love God. Show me. I love God. Trust me. I read my Bible every day. Well, why isn't it changing your life? Why isn't it creating more love for other people? Why isn't the heart of God showing up inside of you? Why isn't it breaking you and humbling you? As Jesus would say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Or is it creating rage and anger, hatred? It's a good litmus test for us. Matthew 23, 31, but in saying that you testify against yourselves that you are indeed descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, he says, hey, Go ahead, finish what your ancestors started. And he calls them this. He calls them snakes, sons of vipers. How will you escape the judgment of hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers of religious law. But you will kill some by crucifixion, and you will flog others with whips in your synagogues, chasing them from city to city. As a result, you will be held responsible for the murder of all godly people of all time, the murder of the righteous. Jesus goes after them with words. He doesn't go after them with his fists. And he does not hate them individually as we see him actually reach out to Pharisees and religious leaders like Nicodemus. The one whose heart is open and ready and prepared, Christ reaches out to and he ministers them. Those who are completely closed off in rebellion, he gives them the truth And he lets the judgment of God fall upon them. And we are to do the same. We are to love and serve an individual and then tell them the truth. What? What if they don't like it and they get mad at you? I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. This is my whole life. (laughs) I still can't win at this. People get angry all the time. That's okay. We're going to keep loving and serving people. How can we say we know God, yet hate people? 1 John 4, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But he that loves not knows not God, for God is love. You say you know God, but you hate your brother. You don't know him. You don't know him. Because when you come into contact with the one who is love, it transforms your heart and your mind, causes you to love deeper. Causes you to see people the way that God does. Point number three, and finally, what did Jesus tell us to do? Are you ready? Verse 44 again. But I say to you. I know LA is saying this. I know California's saying this. I know the nation is saying this. But I say to you. Thank you, Jesus. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father, daughters of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Love your enemies. Notice whose enemies? Yours. My enemies. Love your enemies. Yours. Personalized. It's not general. Love your enemy. Well, who's your enemy? Can you identify him in your mind, in your heart? Uh-oh. Wasn't planning on going there today, Pastor. Kind of wanted to leave that one on the shelf. Me too. What does it look like to love your enemy face to face? Are you ready? First Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Wow. Jesus says in, there in 44, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for the people who persecute me, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. When's the last time you prayed for that person? How often do you pray for that person? Well, Lord, I don't want to pray for them. You might save them. You might, like, do something good in their life. I don't want you to bless them, Jonah said. Do you remember? I'm not going to Nineveh. If I go to Nineveh, God, you might save them. If I go and preach the message of the gospel to them and tell them to repent, what if they actually do repent and you give them all salvation and you give them blessed lives in a relationship with you? I really don't want that. Jonah actually said that to God. I don't want to go there because what if you might actually save them? When's the last time you prayed for that person? You're like, man, I don't want to pray for him. God might bless them. Isn't that a good thing? Aren't you happy somebody prayed for you? I sure am happy somebody prayed for me. And I've been able to receive and experience the blessing of God in my own life, a relationship with him. Family, Christians don't hate people. We pray for people. Christians don't hate people. We pray for people. Again, Christians don't hate people. We pray for people. 1st Timothy 2:1. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This has been with the saddest counterfeit displays of christ and christianity those who stand up well i'll just name them in particular because you probably want you you guys know too it's the westboro baptist church the one who stands on the corner with signs says crazy things like god hates gays and all the rest they're misrepresenting god you see Are these sinful things? Yes, but what are you doing? You are a misrepresentation of Almighty God. Does God hate the sin? Of course he does. Does God hate the wicked? Of course he does, but he loves the people individually. And if there are people on the earth that God hates for righteous, perfect reasons, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, watch this, who am I to determine who God loves and who God hates? I don't get to determine that. That's up to God. He is the one who decides these things. We don't know that and we shouldn't make signs to say that. One of the best schemes of the enemy is to make so many counterfeits of Christianity that no one knows what true Christianity looks like anymore. Let's just keep copying, making counterfeits of the dollar. We'll make so many copies that you won't even be able to tell which one's the real one. It's kind of what it feels like here in in America with Christianity, it's what it feels like. So many different prints, it's really hard to tell. I love to simplify Christianity over and over again. Please just love your God and love your neighbor. How do I know if I'm loving God? If you're loving your neighbor. That's how you know. It is, Jesus says the whole law. This whole earth, the whole universe, the whole society, everything that we're supposed to be doing is summed up in two very simple things. Just love God and walk with him. How do I know I'm walking in obedience? You're not hurting your neighbor. You're not hammering other people. You're not tearing them down. You're telling them the truth. You're building them up. You're pointing them to God. It's that simple. Sons and daughters look like their father. Let that sink in. Sons and daughters look like their father and their mother. Are we sons and daughters of the great king? We should reflect him. People should know it. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said. By this, all men and women will know you are my disciples by the way that you love each other. This has been very sad in the last years. It's been very difficult for me to work through. I've seen more division in the church than I've ever seen in my whole life. In this day and age, it's supposed to be more love, more unity, more peace, more joy. All of these things that we shout superficially, but then when you look at the nuts and bolts, you're like, what's going on here? And it's sad. Even amongst my own church family, like in all the churches that I've ran with and all the brothers and sisters that I've ran with, you just see these lines being drawn everywhere and everybody getting mad at each other. It's like, guys, you're, you're, you're forgetting who our father is. He's got lots of different kids. Did you know that? And these kids like to fight. (laughs) You ever see brothers and sisters fight? Oh, man. But we are brothers and sisters, nevertheless, in the end, and we should be reflecting our Father. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Notice the illustration Jesus gives. I love Jesus' illustrations. They're so much better than my stories. You know, my stories work and connect sometimes, but it's like, oh, that doesn't exactly connect on this and this and this. But Jesus' stories and illustrations, they're perfect. Look at what he says. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. When I first read this, I thought it always meant God allows good and bad things, the sun and the rain, to happen to everyone. (laughs) But in Jesus' context, sun and rain both are very good. I know in SoCal, rain is bad. But in Israel 2,000 years ago, sun and rain are both very, very good because most people were involved in farming and growing crops. And you live and die on the sun and the rain. With that in mind, if we were all farmers, growing our crops, we've all planted the seed and here we are waiting around, what if little clouds only showed up over certain houses and it just starts raining? Wait, why is it raining on your house and not on my house? We need water too. The Bible, Jesus says, God lets the sun shine and the rain fall on the just and the unjust, on the good and the evil. He waters everybody's crops. He gives food to all of them. He gives life to everyone. It's incredible. You'd think that God would just snatch life away from people But he doesn't. God lets the sun and rain fall on the believing farm and the non believing farmer. God blesses the believer and the non believer, showing a general love for the whole world. The technical theological term for you Bible students, it's called common grace. Matt Slick writes a nice little article on this. It's called he says common grace is the grace God gives to creation as a whole, to all unbelievers. In this universal, non-salvific form of grace, God allows the sun to shine upon both the righteous and the unrighteous. He does not judge unbelievers right away due to the work of Christ on the cross by which people are saved. God endures with them for the sake of those who would believe. Unbelievers can be doctors, engineers, parents, etc., and function within God's domain and counsel, Common grace is the grace of God by which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not part of salvation. Check that out. God just says, hey, earth, I love you. I'm just gonna just start throwing out blessings. Here you go, angels, get the shovels, get the shovels. Just start throwing blessings out to the earth. Yeah, that guy, Lord, that guy's a non-believer. He doesn't love you at all. Bless him. Bless him, bless him, bless him, bless him, bless him. Why? Why? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Yeah, many of the rich and the famous and the powerful are blaspheming God to the highest level, and he grabs another shovel and just says, here you go. Enjoy the common grace on the earth. Even the psalmist David complains about this. He's like, Lord, why do you keep blessing my enemies? Why does it look like they're prospering above me? Why is this? God allows blessing to fall on the just and the unjust, the sun and the rain. And guess what we're called to do as his sons and daughters. Family, get out there blessing the non-believing farmer and the farmer. Go water their crops. Go shine some sunshine on them. Little tongue twister. Notice how many non-believers are prospering and have many blessings on the earth. If I was God, I'd take them away. Praise God I'm not God. Like, forget that, dude. That guy, they did this. No rain for you. One year, right? Shut them down. Take away their blessings. Praise God I'm not in that position. God loves the world, but I should point out that he has a special love for his children. And that makes sense. I know people love to say everyone in the whole world are God's children, but that is not true. That's actually made up. Jesus himself says in John 1, 12, but to all those that receive him, I'm sorry, the apostle John writes it, but to all those who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. Children of God are those that actually believe in the Lord Jesus. He gave them the right to be called sons and daughters of God as they believe on him. This makes sense. Do parents love all people the same as their children? no. There's a special love and grace that a parent pours on their child. Though God has a love for the whole world, he has a special love for his people. And this is a special grace that we have received. We don't deserve it, but our God has shown us grace and pardoned our sins. And we are free and forgiven and we have been given new life, new eternity. And this is a special grace, again, we have received from God. That the non-believer has not received. Only those who put their faith in Jesus will be called children of God. Final verses, 46 to 48. For if you love those who love you, what reward do we have? Do not even the tax collectors do this? He says, even the IRS does this. Tax season. Even the IRS loves those who love them. Do not even the tax collectors do this, Jesus says. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than... What others are doing, do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Notice the context. It's in love. Being perfect as God is perfect in love. It's loving the unlovable. It's greeting those and being kind to those you have problems with. As Christians, we must always stand against evil but we are never to mistreat anyone. We are never to hate an individual person. We are never to hurt or take revenge on someone because we're mad at them and have hate for them. We are a people who, who forgive. We are a people who love and serve others, even our enemies. And at the same time, we do hate the evil in our world, the sin that plagues the human race. We do hate the wicked who desire to do harm or hurt innocent people. I think a, a very difficult illustration, but maybe a helpful one, is who in their right mind wouldn't hate Hitler? What he did, all that he did. We are called to hate that movement. We are called to hate his actions. We are called to hate all that he did. He was clearly wicked and filled with evil. A tool in the hands of the devil, and if you didn't know, He wiped six million Jews off the planet in the Holocaust just 80, 90 years ago, right here in our history. He should be sentenced to death and found guilty for all he has done. He has been and will be sentenced in eternity. Yet if I was to come face to face with him in the cell, I don't know, maybe I was chained and handcuffed and forced to be a servant in there. I should not spit in his face. Try to take revenge there in that moment and hate his soul. I'm called to pray for him in that moment. Shine the light of Christ in his face. Speak truth into his ears and let God do the rest. Who also did this? Do you remember? The Lord Jesus. To those who murdered him, he spoke truth right into their ears. He stood against them, but notice he did not pick up a sword to crush them in the moment. He loved his enemy in front of him, yet he spoke truth into their ears. Now, if you're on the other side of the military and you were to sneak in and come face to face and take out Hitler, that's a whole nother, a whole nother state of defense that we would have to walk in and do. But I'm talking about a different scenario in which you are coming face to face and have the opportunity to minister. You know who else you would kill? if you had the the mindset of hatred and killing individually, you would have killed the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul was killing Christians. He was putting them in jail. He was hating them and hurting them. And if you came in contact with him, you'd be like, I'm going to take this dude out right now. Instead, Jesus shows up and comes face to face with him. And what does he do? He pulls out his sword and he strikes him dead. No, he didn't do that. Jesus said, hey Saul, repent, you're gonna be my apostle. You're mine, purchased you, you belong to me now. You will recant all that you're doing and you will launch the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. You will write two thirds of the New Testament. I will give you a pen and you will write to the churches. It will be the testament to the churches to the ages unreal what God does. We are called to love everyone, and that doesn't mean we have to like every person. Did you know that? (laughs) That's impossible, especially with non-believers. How are we to like them? But we are called to love them. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it really well. He says this, we are not called upon to be like everybody. We cannot like everyone but we can be, be commanded to love. It is ridiculous to command anyone to like another person. It depends upon the physical constitution, temperament, and a thousand and one other things. We are called to love and serve every single person around us. It doesn't mean you have to fully like this person as much as you like the person down the street. That's impossible. But there should be a balance. We have to get clarity in seeing someone come to justice and being sentenced for all the wrong that they've done. At the same time, pray for them. If you hate something that someone has done, it's okay to want justice in that, and then in the same breath, turn around as a Christian and pray for the salvation and the brokenness and the repentance of that person. That's what Christians do. That's what our God does, has done for us. Don't you remember who you were? Don't you remember who I once was? We were enemies of God, and God went out of his way and pursued me. If God has done this for me, how can I not do this for others in my world? Praise God for Jesus. Stephen Olford tells of a Baptist pastor during the American Revolution, Peter Miller, who lived in Pennsylvania and enjoyed the friendship of George Washington. In Epaphras also lived Michael Whitman, an evil-minded sort who did all he could to oppose and humiliate the pastor. And one day, Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to die, and Pastor Peter Miller traveled 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead for the life of the traitor. No, Peter, General Washington said, I cannot grant you the life of your friend— And the preacher said, my friend, he's not my friend. He's my enemy. I've come to plead for his life even though he's an enemy. And George Washington said, what? I've never seen anyone do this in all of my life. Come and plead for someone's life to whom is their enemy. For that reason, I will grant you his pardon. They showed up enemies and they left together that day as friends because someone showed up and chose to show the love of Christ. Legacy, this is who we're to be right here in Los Angeles. We are to speak the truth, people will get angry, and we're to keep on loving those, even who are angry with us. We're to keep on loving and serving those who don't like what we're doing in this city. We're to set the example. The rest of the world, it is keep throwing mud at each other. Keep fighting and keep arguing and cre- keep creating more divide. The best thing that you could ever do in this season, I think like why is the Lord bringing up this text to us? I would, I would encourage you to challenge your own mind and your own heart to start figuring out how to love and serve those who don't agree with you. Try to figure out how to love and serve those who maybe even you have anger with in your heart. I'll tell you step number one, it starts with prayer. I dare you to go to the Lord in prayer for that person. Start praying for them. Then second, I dare you to show up with a smile and start loving people regardless of the way that you feel. I always forget to tell my face to smile, but I want to let you know that I'm generally pretty happy most of the time on the inside. Uh, My demeanor is very heavy. That's the problem with this beard. Those of you visiting here for the first time, you're like, man, this dude grows a gnarly beard, you know? And uh, the truth is, I normally don't have a beard, like only a little bit out of the, the of the year so when I shave this thing you're gonna say oh who's the guest speaker you know it's like no no that's Josh you know he's he's under there but my face my exterior is is uh, kind of heavy sometimes I remember I was working for Stater Brothers as a kid pushing uh, carts bagging groceries I'm like 17 18 years old I remember this lady walking up she's like is everything okay man are you okay and I'm like yeah I'm great oh, you look like really angry, you know, are you sure, is everything's okay in the world? I'm like, yeah, it's great, it's fantastic, you know. Well, your face, you know, is like looks really angry. I'm like, oh, wow, okay, I'm sorry. I forget to tell my face to smile. The reason I bring that up is a smile is infectious. And sadly, with the mask on in our society, people can't see a smile, but they can see a squint. It's great, you know, and you're in the grocery store and you kind of go extra big on that smile. How you doing today? You doing all right? You know, they're like, you're happy, huh? Yeah. Everybody else is all angry, checking out. It's crazy that we live in a time that it is radical to be loving to someone that you disagree with. This is a radical move. Like, you know, man, I fully disagree with you and I actually really like you as a person. Thanks so much for spending time talking. This is great. You know, we should talk some more. You know, we should grow together. Hey, you want to go get some coffee? Hey, you want to go for a surf? You want to go goof off? Let's go watch the Super Bowl game together. What if we took radical stances like this in love like our God does, start praying for people, start figuring out where the bridges are at, and really turn the tide of all this negativity in our society? We are called to lead by example. Amen. God is calling us to do this. We should look like our Father. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Please try to love perfectly as he perfectly loves. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your love. We need your peace. And I'm, I'm just not good at this, Lord. I pray that you would help me to continue to love and serve people. I pray that you would help us as a church, Lord, to, to walk in humility, to walk in service of one another, to try to understand what's going on, try to understand each other. I pray that we would leave with the infectious love of Christ. and That people would say, that person just loves truth and wants to figure it out, and they're full of life. I pray that we would be radically different from the movements of this world that just want to tear other people down, hurt people, wipe them out, kill them financially. Lord, we pray that you, if we give given the opportunity, if you would please be gracious to us, if we are to stand before other non-believers, you would give us the spirit of wisdom and boldness to be able to love and serve them right to their face and also speak truth to them to cause such confusion in their minds where they would see who is this person that would love me though I've been mean to them, who keeps speaking truth to me even though I've been chaotic to them. Lord, help us. We give you our lives We thank you that your gospel has done this for us. Thank you for laying down your life for us, Jesus, when we were once enemies. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for renewing our lives. We turn to you with all of our hearts, and we ask that you would raise us to life, raise us to love, raise us to serving, raise us to humility. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.